I'm excited about how technology is uh, being democratized, how it's plunging in cost. One of our missions is to positively impact one billion people. The relevance of a new technology to solving problems that affect like a billion people. All great stuff happens because someone inspires someone else to do something. The next wave of innovation is going to be eroding the territory. How's it, everybody? Welcome to 2021. Hope you had a great break in 2020 and that you are ready to take this year on with positivity and energy. These recordings of these podcasts were done during the lockdown period of our Exponential Africa live show. Hope you enjoy them. There's some amazing people on it. Uh, Take a listen and learn something. The Workforce of the Future panel. The future of work directs so much attention, both locally and globally, in, in many ways, and especially because of COVID, has accelerated its development, from embracing digitization, to working remotely, to the gig economy, platform adoption, gender equality, and embracing exponential technologies to augment the workforce. We need practical solutions to be implemented to help the media challenges now that, we, that have been created for organizations and employees, and the direction to lead us into a more abundant future. Ray Kurzweil, one of the founders of Singularity University, predicts that by 2029, we will reverse engineer the human brain and the computer becomes as smart as a human being. And by 2045, the computational power will be so great that we'll be able to reverse engineer 9 billion people's brains and we will have this technological singularity which will ultimately change everything. But as we're leading up to Ray's prediction, there's a lot to discuss in order to build the future we want to live in. And there is a lot of stuff in between to discuss like the future of work. So tonight we have Krista Pauli, Adateo Bamidoro, Hilda Leswani and Walter Adeo. Let's start with Krista. Krista Pauli is the co-founder and head of reputation and impact at Singularity U Canada, designing experiences and reputation strategies for leaders working at the intersection of innovation and impact to understand, prepare and shape a more sustainable future. Krista, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Mick. It's great to be here. And uh, thanks for joining us all the way from from Canada. Which city in Canada are you in at the moment? I'm in Toronto right now. Awesome. And how's 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 it going there? How's the the, uh, atmosphere in Canada? Um, Well, we're in summer right now, so Canadians are generally happier. It's quite warm, so that's fantastic. Um, in Ontario, the province that I'm in, in the city in Toronto where I am, we're in what we call phase two of reopening around COVID, which means we're just starting to open back up, but things like schools and most of our large workplaces are still closed. So we're still in a real uh, transition period. We're now beyond the idea of thinking that this is temporary and starting to talk about what is the new normal and how might we start to consider a a build back better philosophy because we've recognized that while we have a bit of a reprieve right now with the warm, beautiful weather, uh, our health experts are speaking about a reemergence of the pandemic or some form of that in September uh, through November and and looking and planning for that from a business perspective. Now, we we are similar um, organizations in different territories. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do at Singularity U Canada and how do you create 
real impact. Uh, we've got quite different um, economies and environments, uh, but how, how are you guys doing it? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, as you've mentioned, so Singularity U Canada and Singularity U South Africa are part of this amazing Singularity U global ecosystem made up of country partners around the world um, who link into uh, the, the headquarters in, in uh, the US. How we work in Canada is that because Canada has such a huge geography, we're really focused on building a pan-Canadian community. And our whole emphasis has been on identifying leaders at every level and across all sectors and bringing them together to create a more sustainable and, as you say, future-proof Canada. Uh, Canada, like Africa, has this, this challenge of geography. We are also incredibly multicultural. And so we're looking to really bring together a diversity of perspectives, which I think is where South Africa and Canada have some, some commonalities. Uh, where we become a little different in our execution is for us just the space and we don't have the same density of population. So something that we've been looking at well before the pandemic hit was how can we use technology to actually bring our disparate communities together and to create more inclusive experiences. And so whether that be through our executive programs, through our major events and summits, and I see that you've got yours coming up in October online, which I'm incredibly excited about. Um, we do the same thing here in Canada to really try to convene those communities and to inspire our leaders as well. And uh, how have you seen uh, during this time of COVID, how have you seen people embracing tech to sort of pivot and be agile and adaptable uh, during this time? We've seen it in a bunch of different ways. So in our large corporations, um, and we work with a number of large corporations through Singularity U, we're seeing a real movement towards enabling greater work from home, and it's also catalyzing new conversations. So what a week before COVID hit was impossible, in the words of one client we were working with who was talking about moving their call center into a home-based model, is now how they're functioning. And so this has really pushed that mindset that so many leaders have of what used to be absolutely inconceivable we're now imagining and that's creating huge opportunities to truly reimagine what the future of work might look like in canada a major part of our economy is our small and medium-sized business sector they are our primary driver and so we're seeing some pivots there as well a looking to upskill a lot of our small and medium-sized businesses taking our main street onto a digital world. So seeing a big increase in, in that transformation and really helping people to understand what opportunities might be there that they hadn't conceived of before. So I've seen traditional manufacturing companies pivoting into PPE production. Um, I'm seeing freelancers looking at creating different models for how they might create more sustainable models of work and how they might go after clients. I don't think it's happenstance that Shopify is a Canadian company. I mean, Canada is incredible at e-commerce. And so you're seeing a lot of our innovation come in that space as well. We're also seeing a huge uptick in um, innovation around medical tech and science and research. And I think a lot of the open research philosophies that have started in Canada have really helped to enable that type of work. So across the board, we're seeing technology influence how people are working. I will say the flag that we have here in Canada is that that digital engagement works if you have access to high speed bandwidth and if you have the technology. 
So another big piece of focus, and our government has just made a large announcement around this, is ensuring that all Canadians have access to that technology so that we're actually looking at digital equity as a principle. And that, that's really going to be key, I would say, globally to ensuring that we can bring the best of the world together into this digital economy. No, thanks so much for that. I think that's quite a, a very interesting uh, concept, digital equity, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back into that a bit later in the panel. And, uh, you know, for us, it's so interesting because we've been embracing a lot of these technologies and these platforms because we are working on this in this global organization. Uh, you know, we're all on Slack, we're all on, um, you know, Salesforce or the different communication tools. So I think it's very uh, exciting that, that uh, we all have to sort of get into this uh, digital world now. We're going to move on to our next guest, who's Adeteo Bamiduro. Adeteo is the CEO and co-founder of Max.ng, a pioneering mobility platform in sub-Saharan Africa. Adeteo is an MIT, Techstars, PwC, and Dahlberg alum over the last five years, and he has become a leading innovator and global expert on sustainable mobility and digital financial inclusion. Adeteo, great to have you on the show, all the way from Nigeria. Thanks, Mick. Excited to be here. And um, it's great. We've had, we've had quite a, uh, a long relationship where we've been following your, your progress. And it's been incredible how you've, you've literally gone exponential over the last couple of years with your business. Do you want to just tell us a bit more about uh, what, what you guys are doing and how you're getting into this financial inclusion area? Absolutely. You know, so, you know, when you look at Nigeria and, uh, and West Africa and for the most part, you know, most African countries, our economies are still, you know, mostly informal, essentially. So what that means is uh, people are not, you know, connected to the formal financial system. So what we've done over the last few years is to build platforms, uh, mobile platforms, and also create financing mechanisms that allow us to bring um, informal motor taxi drivers into the formal economy. And it's a pretty simple process, right? You know, which includes providing them access to funding, access to vehicles, and also creating digital wallets and digital IDs for them, right? And are providing that platform to allow them to, uh, uh, you know, leverage technology to enhance their lives or to access critical services like health, you know, healthcare. So by, by joining our platform, they get access to things like health insurance and, and, and things like that. So we're solving, you know, this really important problem that ensures that people are able to access higher quality of life, right? And at the same time, generate much more revenue than they could, they could by operating on their own. Uh, it's been quite an amazing journey. And, um, you know, right now we're doing a lot of work, uh, with, even with governments, trying to drive policy, you know, changes to ensure, you know, that customers, drivers uh, and small businesses uh, uh, get the most value uh, out of digital platforms uh, in a way that is sustainable, that is transparent, um, and that essentially, you know, meets the needs that they have. So it's been quite an amazing journey and uh, looking forward to the future. No, that's really, really interesting. I mean, do, what are your views on the gig economy? Because if you think about it, what you're doing is you're actually, you've got a gig economy business, but a lot of the people that start working with you uh, on the platform become sort of uh, long-term members or long, you know, almost like they're fully employed. How do, so what are your thoughts on on the gig economy versus full-time employment? I think, I mean, you know, the, the gig economy is absolutely the future, you know, right? Because what the gig economy allows you to do is to be productive when you want to be. It allows you to earn money when you want to be. 
So, you know, all of the, the challenges associated with traditional forms of employment where you have to sit, sit at a desk, you know, for eight hours a day or even more, as the case may be, uh, that is gradually getting outdated now because, you know, when you also think about the, the workforce of the future, what is important is, is productivity, right? So it, it doesn't matter how long you sit, sit at your desk, you know, if you're not productive, you know, that, that doesn't help any company, that doesn't help anyone. So, you know, leveraging technology uh, to do your work, right, um, when you want to do it in a way that is also relevant and productive, you know, for, for, for the people, for your customers is all that really matters now. You know, not any uh, old school traditional systems that don't necessarily even deliver value to our intended ed- end users. So, you know, uh, uh, the onset of COVID-19 is simply just going to accelerate that reality because, you know, uh, what COVID has, has, COVID-19 has forced a lot of us to do around the world is to stay home, right? But we've stayed home and most of us have remained productive. In fact, in, in many cases, many of us are even more productive because all the time that we put into commuting, especially when you look at cities like, like Lagos, you know, or, or London or New York, you know, that are extremely dense and, and there's just, you know, uh, all kinds of really crazy uh, uh, traffic congestions that people go through. Right now, we are realizing that we can actually be as productive or even more productive right from, from our homes, right? So what we, are, what we are going to witness and what we are witnessing right now is a complete total fundamental shift in the concept of work and in the concept of productivity. No, thanks for that. I think uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to see how it's all changing so fast. And we're going to go into that a bit, a bit more when we go into our panel. I'm going to welcome on our next guest, who is Hilda Laswani. Uh, Hilda is a, an award-winning sustainable investments professional. As an independent consultant, she has gained over seven years of experience in business development and public-private partnerships. She now runs her own organization, We Bloom Africa, which is mainstreaming a gender lens investing in Africa. Hilda, thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me and uh, thanks for that great introduction. I'm, I'm really, really pleased and thrilled to be on this platform and I was uh, very refreshed that something like this is even out there. So I feel very honored to be adding my voice to your movement. No, thank you so much. And you are dialing in all the way from Switzerland, right? Yes, I, I am based in Switzerland, uh, Zurich to be specific. Amazing. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about WeBloom Africa? It, it sounds like uh, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible uh, new company. And you've just been named as one of the Forbes under 30 under 30 to watch um, in, in business. So do, do you want to just share with us what WeBloom Africa is trying to achieve? Sure, um, gladly. I mean, We Bloom Africa is uh, really uh, birthed out of a, a passion project of mine, and the the impetus for me founding We Bloom was uh, years of work that I've done with organizations such as Siemens, the Mastercard Foundation, and the European Union, and with all of these great institutions. I, I had the privilege of working within in many different African uh, entrepreneurial and tech ecosystems, and and see for myself firsthand all of these different nuances uh, that are at play on the ground and how these dynamics uh, take shape in the form of uh, individual and specific entrepreneurs, uh, how culture uh, ties into this, how um, infrastructure ties into this, and and all of these uh, myriad of issues. And and, 
out of all of that work, what I found is um, even though Africa is on this great path uh, because we have the, the um, uh, advantage of a young population, meaning a lot of energy and a lot of entrepreneurs, and uh, we don't have this kind of uh, legacy infrastructure, which means we can leapfrog uh, a lot of um, different systems, which is not uh, the case here in, in Europe. What I found is as much as there's a lot of opportunity for this, there's still a huge demographic within this conversation that is still being categorically left behind, which is women entrepreneurs. So through We Bloom Africa, what what we're really doing um, is mainstreaming gender lens investing um, in Africa, which basically means it's a fancy way of saying um, helping people who allocate their money and investments uh, towards Africa, towards entrepreneurs, helping them find those opportunities also in women-led organizations. Um, because what we found is there's a lot of capital allocation at the moment being driven towards the, the African con continent, maybe traditional investments or, you know, sustainable impact investments um, for uh, um, social impact. Um, and in both cases, cases, uh, women are being disproportionately left behind. Um, they're being disproportionately also left behind when it comes to different ecosystem players, such as incubators and accelerators. So what We Blue Africa is really trying to do is just um, uh, create a platform to assist different women-led organizations and entrepreneurs enter the mainstream of this narrative and enter the mainstream um, of this great wave of entrepreneurial spirit that will hopefully bring uh, Africa into its uh, renaissance. And so on the, on the one hand, we work with uh, women entrepreneurs on the ground. We come to them and um, uh, help them with their business models. So help them really optimize uh, sustainable business models within their operations. We help them with their financial reporting and management. Uh, and we also um, pair them with uh, mentors and coaches. Um, and then on the other end, because as much as it's important to, of course, work with uh, women entrepreneurs on the ground, we also actively work with investors. So that's institutional investors, that's individual investors. May they be in Africa or here in Europe, and we hold various advocacy ac uh, activities and workshops um, because a, a big part of the reason why people still don't invest in women is because we all have these internal biases, right? And and for some reason, um, through uh, media, through narrative, through cultural, you know, uh, upbringing, there's this kind of internal bias, um, which is not only an African case. There have been studies made here in Europe and the U.S. as well that show that uh, VCs and investors are less likely to invest in women because of internal biases. So working also directly with investors to start to chip away at these biases and really show them that investing in women is uh, just as worthwhile and just as fruitful as investing in men. Um, so we are definitely not uh, anti-male-led uh, uh, entrepreneurs in Africa. Definitely not. I mean, we think that um, all of the energy is needed and, and all we're trying to do is include women within that conversation and within that stream of energy. No, thanks so much for that. I think it's hugely important uh, what you're doing and uh, gender equality is, you know, is, is, is becoming a lot more uh, a, a spoken about topic, which I think is a great step forward towards transforming the workplace and, and the invest, investment landscape. So thanks so much for what you're doing. Uh, let's move on to our next panelist, who is a good friend, Volta Adeo. Volta Adeo is the Chief 
Digital and Innovation Officer of Deloitte Africa and Singularity U South Africa faculty member, specializing on the future of work and digital transformation. Volta is recognized as an expert in the fields of disruptive innovation, business reimagination and emerging technologies through work that he has led for organizations in Africa, Europe and the Middle East. Volta, thanks for being on the show. That sounds like you're on mute there. Do you want to just turn your audio on and off? Uh, no, you're still on mute. Um, just give us a second. Try, try, try again now. Okay, so let's, you know, we're having a few uh, audio sound issues with you, Volta, there. Let's go. We're going to go into the panel and we'll try to work that out and we'll, we'll come back to you. Um, if you can just try to turn your sound on and off there, it might, might. Uh... So while we're waiting for Volta there, just to be working out the sound, let's, let's move on to our, one of our first questions is, um, what do you think the new workforce of the future will be post-COVID? Uh, let's, let's start with with you, uh, uh, Krista. So I think the workforce of the future is going to be global, is one of the first pieces. Um, I think that this move and shift towards a digital environment has opened up the opportunity to really bring the best of the world together to solve challenges, whether those be what we're passionate about, which are some of these grand challenges and the social, uh, the SDGs, but also business challenges and that ability to, to really connect. Um, so I, I agree uh, absolutely with Adeteo that I think the principles of the gig economy are going to become much bigger in the shape that our workforce takes on. I also agree wholeheartedly with Hilda and the point that I think that the future of work is also, and I'm hoping, going to be more inclusive. And I think a lot of the conversations that we're seeing right now around um, data ethics and inclusive data and starting from some of those core principles, the opportunity that we have to redefine work and what we count as work is also going to be critical. So I think this is nothing less than a seismic shift in how we define work. And rather than being frightened by it, I, I hope that people will take a mindset of energy and excitement around what we can build together. And so for me, that the future of work is exciting, it's inclusive, it's diverse, and it's global. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's a, really about how do you access the new global economy now? You know, how do you embrace these platforms and access work all around the world, as you say? I think we have got Volta back online now. Can we cut to Volta? Are you there? Yeah. Yep. Um, we can. I think we can hear you. Volta, how are you doing? All good. Apologies for that. Uh, I just had to refresh and come back into the system. Now it seems all okay. Thanks for having me on your panel. Uh... Um, can you just speak up a bit, Volta? It isn't sounding 100% correct. Um, that is a bit better. So, so, Volta, do you want to tell us a little bit about... You deal with a lot of leaders and, uh, you know, specifically in your job, what's, what's going on uh, in your world, you know, because there's been this massive societal impact from COVID-19 and a bifurcation in the economy. How do we make sure we can shorten this dip as leaders 
or employees in organizations? The future of work conversation has been one that's been going on for some time. And it's not just in large organizations. If you think of it, once we get over the exponential technology, next thing we're impact that these exponential technologies conversations both at um, Volta, I'm going to just stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. We can't really hear you. I don't know if anyone else in the panel can hear Volta. No. So we're going to just, we're going to just, uh, I think we'll move on to, on to Adateo just to give us uh, some feedback around uh, the future of work from your point of view in Nigeria. While we, I think we need to just refresh you there, Volta. Okay, sure. Um, so, I mean, in, in, in Nigeria, right, you know, uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a little, you know, it's been a little slower in terms of, you know, embracing remote work concepts and a bunch of other uh, new ideas around how to be, how, how we can be effective without necessarily, you know, uh, co-locating together, right? You know, uh, so at the onset of COVID and the impact of the pandemic, a lot of those, those mindsets have, have shifted quite quickly. Uh, a case in point, for example, is if you look at some 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 companies and some uh, such as uh, Andela, for example, uh, you know, which is a company that connects uh, our smart engineers in, in in Africa to work opportunities in the United States. Uh, they've gone 100% remote, right? So right now, you know, they're selling off their property, and all their engineers no longer have to be co-located in one location anymore, right? You know, and, and that has been accelerated. And I've seen that that same impact, you know, across multiple organizations now, even. Uh, local banks in Nigeria, you know, are starting to review, you know, the nature of their business. Now, of course, there are, there are negative, you know, consequences or negative short-term consequences because what it means is, you know, a bunch of people are going to lose their jobs, uh, facilities managers are going to lose their jobs, you know, and, and some folks who work in, work in support services are going to lose their jobs as well. But I think, you know, if you look at this uh, in terms of the, long, the medium to long-term uh, transformation that would happen uh, ultimately you know people will begin to move a lot more towards career paths and career options that are fundamentally you know much more productive and and more necessary for you know what the workforce of the future would look like so even in nigeria that transformation is is very well underway and it's, it's very welcome right you know if you look at a city like lagos um traffic congestion at, at peak periods is, is completely insane uh, you know, so when companies now are a lot more flexible than, than they've ever been before, and they're starting to allow much larger, you know, chunks and percentages of their workforce, you know, to work from home, then, you know, that is really good because it, in, it improves even the quality of life for people. Uh, you, you don't have to spend four to six hours commuting every day anymore uh, if you can deliver impact, you know, and deliver results right from, from, from your home. So interesting. I think we have a same, a, a similar environment in South Africa where a lot of businesses are learning to work remotely. Uh, Hilda, how's it working for you in, in Switzerland? Because I know Switzerland took quite a different approach uh, towards the lockdown. What are you seeing there in terms of uh, the, how the workforce is adapting to COVID and beyond? Yeah, Switzerland was one of those countries that were a bit slower to kind of uh, bring on restrictions and start the lockdown. Um, but eventually we did uh, enter into 
you know, the, the lockdown situation where um, most activity was banned. Um, but obviously now that it, that's opening up. And I think the, the biggest shift here, I think in general, we've been very lucky globally in terms of what the COVID implications have been for Switzerland. Um, we're definitely dealing, it, dealing with it uh, much better compared to our um, fellow European counterparts. Um, and one of the biggest things for me is that this COVID has proven that people can still be productive even if they don't go to the office, right? I think for many companies, this has been the, the biggest uh, light bulb, bulb moment that we don't need this, you know, you have to be uh, at the office nine to five in order to be productive, which goes back to Adeteo's point about what productive productivity really means and how we need to start to dismantle, you know, our uh, kind of his, historic paradigms of, of what work should be and what, what productivity looks like. So I think for the most part, um, that's how work has changed, that we are, we have a, a different work-life balance and work has come home. So you have a lot of meetings where the kids are in the background and it's completely fine and things are going on as usual. So I think that's been the biggest thing, but at the same part, you also, at the same time, uh, that only speaks to a very specific portion of the workforce. So we also need to consider entrepreneurs, we need to consider freelancers. Uh, this doesn't necessarily implicate their lives in a positive light, right? Many entrepreneurs, because of this, maybe they haven't been um, kind of uh, digitally uh, integrated yet. And so they've completely gone out of business, for example, and now um, are not even in a position to kind of uh, look for alternatives because the whole world is in a lockdown and there's not opportunities um, falling from the sky. Um, so I think the conversation is more complex uh, than we think, and we need to take a real nuanced look at the different kind of portions within our workforce, uh, people such as myself and the rest of the people on the panel that maybe have full-time jobs, I think we're safeguarded. But there's a huge portion of our populations here in, in Europe as well as in Africa that don't have that safety net and that comfort. And that's when we need to start thinking about how our systems and the systems that we've built, how they are coming together to support our different workforces. And um, it's not always the case for, <clears throat> for everyone um, participating within this uh, huge spectrum that we call the, the workforce. So I think all in all, in terms of Switzerland, we're very lucky. Um, but I think in terms of looking at COVID and how it's changing the workforce, uh, we definitely need to take a very nuanced look before we get too hopeful and too optimistic about the future. Because I think for the most part, uh, most of the world is, is gonna uh, be left really struggling uh, because of COVID in terms of finding income and finding opportunities. Um, so yeah, that that is really my, my main takeaway uh, when it comes to how COVID is kind of implicating the workforce for the moment. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Krista, do you want to add to that? You don't mind. I, I agree with what Hilda said in that I think that this is it's impacting the workforce. And we, we say the word the workforce, and it's not a homogeneous group. The reality is, as Hilda said, there are so many different components. And yes, those who work in large institutions and those 
who have access to the technology that creates huge opportunities and they're able to take those on immediately. For those who are not yet part of that inclusive digital ecosystem, this presents barriers. And I think that that is the challenge to many of us is to look at how might we help to ensure that we're bringing the full capacity of that whole global workforce to the table. And we need to be deliberate around that. We can't be, we can't be blind to the fact that there, are, there is a real question of digital equity here. Um, I also come in and, and the mention of work coming home. So I, I'll be very personal. I have three young children and running a business while also trying to care for three young children, I have more work than ever before. And so recognizing the impact that that's having. So this idea of work-life balance is something we need to reevaluate. And we need to question whether it's ours doing the work or to the point that both Adeteo and, and Hilda's raised, is it productivity? And how do we measure that? And another big question that I want to bring in here is, is mental health and recognizing the pressure that this is putting on people around the globe is the reality that now that you have some wage uncertainty, that you have health uncertainty, that you have people who are in a confined space together, what is that doing? And that's something that as workforce leaders, we need to be considering because if we want to maintain that productivity, we need to ensure that the people we work with are healthy in all forms. And that's, we can get into conversations around universal basic income and how that might impact, but it, it's something we need to, we need to surface and talk about. No, absolutely. Um, I think I think it's 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 one of the most important conversations we can have right now because it is changing this fast. Um, we're going to move on to some of the questions now. We're still trying to work out uh, Volta's audio, so we'll just go into some of the questions that you guys are asking uh, from the panel uh, on YouTube. And I can see that Ian Duplessis is asking, "How do you see leaders on having their employees not sitting in local country but working from overseas?" enabling employees to experience living overseas, but still contributing to the same company. Um, Adetayo, do you want to kick that off? Sure, absolutely. You know, so if I might uh, re re uh, ensure that I understand the question is, um, how do our, you know, companies continue to leverage on expertise globally, right? You know, um, who are not necessarily domiciled in the same country, but can you know, contribute towards uh, the, the company or the you know, organization's objectives remotely. Is, is that the question? Yes, that's, that's the question, yes. Okay, sure. You know, one really fascinating thing about, about um, you know, how, how you know, the workforce dynamics are changing is the fact that talent can go anywhere, right? And I mentioned previously, you know, what, what a, a company like Andela, for example, has done and how their, their business model allows them to go fully remote, right? Like they, they've gone remote almost in an, in an instant, right? Now, what are the implications for, 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 you know, Africa, right? And other, even, you know, emerging markets and developing economies, because when you think about economic development, right? And some of the struggles that we have today as a continent, one of the biggest challenges we have is access to talent, especially when you talk about issues like brain drain, for example. So you have a huge amount of really smart, talented people, uh, who, who, you know, who decides to move to, you know, places like, like the U.S., you know, uh, Europe and, and Canada in such a better, better opportunities. And then their home country starts to suffer, you know, because this expertise is no longer available to solve local problems. But the exciting thing about the workforce of the future is 
Now, um, that no longer is a problem because this same smart, intelligent diasporans, you know, whilst living in other countries and living in the West or wherever it is they've gone to, can still play a very significant role in driving, you know, growth and economic development in their own countries because now space is no longer a barrier, right, to impact and productivity. So I think that uh, it's, it's a really uh, exciting and, you know, really exciting a transformation that's happening because uh, now we're in a much stronger position to attract talent, irrespective of where we are, whether it's in South Africa or Zimbabwe or Kenya or Nigeria or Egypt. Um, we don't have to necessarily physically move people into our countries in order to benefit from, from their talent. And I bet you, you know, in order to, to solve some of the complex problems that we're dealing with, we need expertise from all around the world. So this is, uh, this is quite exciting. No, absolutely. And uh, Hilda, do you want to add to that? How do you think we can uh, achieve this this challenge? I mean, I think uh, the the proof is in the pudding, and we ha are now starting to build the the empirical evidence that we can still get things done remotely. For example, all of the various hackathons that have been going on across the, the globe, bringing teams from different countries together and then building and prototyping living, breathing solutions uh, for COVID or, or whatever challenge may be. And I think the, the more of these kind of um, uh, proof of concepts that we have and, and the more we, we build the blueprint, the, the better we'll be able to make these kinds of informed decisions because I think it's still very early days to be to be able to really concretely say and, and, and uh, predict that this new remote working uh, can be kind of a long-term solution for many um, firms because this situation is still unfolding and there's so many things we don't know. But I think for the most part, um, if we look at the empirical evidence, um, the proof is really in the pudding. Um, and. Uh, uh, I think it always goes back to what Adeteo said and what uh, Chris Chris also um, touched on is we need to also figure out how to redefine productivity and and that that's really where everything lies and um, I think uh, that could be also an opportunity for us to start questioning like I mentioned before our uh, internal biases um, and um, starting to really question who we let into the room and, and at the table. Um, and if if uh, these doors really are, can be open, that means we can let more Africans into huge uh, multinational companies, maybe based in, in Europe, uh, more, more South Americans and, and have a more really equally distribute, equal distribution of talents. So to the question, I, I don't have like a, a concrete answer uh, as to, you know, this is definitely going to happen and this should happen. But uh, looking at, at previous uh, or the trends since, since COVID and, and what's been proven, I think we are in the direction of proving that this is a, a new model that can be adopted. And I think if we harness this new model to also include uh, marginalized people, marginalized voices, um, and really use it as an opportunity to to also include them within this conversation, I think it's it's only a, a plus, but it really takes a concerted effort and for us to really be consciously striving for that. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Uh, Chris, did you want to add to that? Huge opportunity for Africa. Um, 
I think the fact that Africa is not inhibited by the legacy institutions and infrastructure that so much of the rest of the world has, has proven in the past that Africa comes up with brilliant ideas that others haven't conceived of because they're held back. I also see organizations like the Maharishi Institute, like the Afri African Leadership Academy and Fred Swanaker's work. And I see this incredible cohort of brilliance in Africa. And I think the companies and the organizations that are going to really come out of this COVID period as the winners are those that are going to identify and to, uh, to Hilda's point, are going to deliberately go and seek that diversity of presence around the table, that they're going to go to Africa and say, we need your perspective here and be active in that choice. And I think that this is a huge opportunity and what that will mean for our creativity globally is huge. And so I'm really excited to see more Africa around the global table. And I'm, I challenge organizations to be deliberate in that, in that decision. No, as I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I was, I was gonna, there's a great quote from uh, John Hunt, who's one of the legends, legendary uh, admin of, of South Africa. And he says, if you embrace diversity, it will hug you right back. So we really believe in that. Is you know, it's really about embracing diversity and many different voices to getting you know the best uh, outcome. Um, let's move on to another question from Katlejo Tabo, who's asking: Given the shifts happening from a workforce standpoint, what are the two to three best things you'd recommend individuals, employees do to maximize and take advantage of opportunities? And I guess this is a, a lead on from your previous point, Krista. Um, do you want to, do you want to uh, take a lead on this one? Sure. So um, first I'll give a resource. So go to futurestarters.org. Um, this is something that we at SU Canada have created, but I think it might be helpful to answer this question because I think a big thing is identify what your blind spots are. What are the things that you're not seeing? And don't worry about it. We all have them. It's part of who we are as humans. And then think about what mindsets you're going to need to be successful going into this future economy. And I'm going to be very specific here so that that doesn't just sound like a lot of jargon. I think that there is a real need to start thinking at the edge. Um, so while organizations may have their core products, we're going to need to be innovating at that edge. We're also going to need to start thinking about what is a fall versus a fail and recognizing where we're comfortable doing some innovation and where there are things that we just can't fail in and, and really embracing that falling and, and that comfort there within our organizations. So that, that ability to understand what am I not seeing and start to consider it. And then what is the mindset that I need to be able to address that blind spot and take advantage of these future opportunities. So check out futurestarters.org because there's some great frameworks there that might be helpful. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Hilda, do you want to add to that, that question? Yeah, and I think it's a, a fantastic question, actually. And this is uh, something that we're working day to day with our entrepreneurs on the ground. Many entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs in Africa that are now faced with the challenge of having to embed more um, digital technologies within their operations to really kind of uh, integrate maybe e-commerce um, and things like this. And and so looking at the ground and, and being able to, to pull from from my experiences there, I think the key is to really be firmly grounded in whatever you do in 
a relevant uh, challenge. And I think that's the kind of a gift and curse of, of Africa. We have a myriad of challenges. And I think once we start looking at our challenges as opportunities, we really start looking at um, investing our time and resources in something that will be sustained over time and that, that will actually bring value not only to yourself, but to society. And so that this is what we do really with We Bloom and also what I do with various institutions, bringing about this idea and concept of sustainable business models, being able to extract value um, within a service or a product or a challenge um, that can speak to both financial sustainability and um, either social, environmental, or um, societal sustainability and impact. And I think for Africa, this is something that needs uh, more light to be shed on it because we do have so many challenges and we are still very much uh, dependent on a lot of kind of outside um, um, maybe aid or international international development agencies, um, a myriad of things and uh, and sources of help. And so at the same time, we have this huge cohort uh, of um, African citizens who are looking for these opportunities and, and like the question, where do I spend my time? Where, where should I be directing my efforts? And I would say really investigate in your own community, in your own society, find those um, challenges and uh, then start really kind of uh, dissecting them and finding ways to extract value from those challenges so that not only are you able to sustain yourself financially, but you're also able to bring value to our community. So this is something that I, I always preach uh, to my entrepreneurs, to um, various organizations I work with. We need to start bolstering and harnessing this idea of sustainable business models that you can um, make a living by doing good and for Africa, we need to make a living. Um, I mean, that's that's the bottom line. People are starving. People don't have roofs over their head. So to pretend that they can just um, uh, exclusively work for good um, is a nice idea. But at the end of the day, there are real challenges being faced. And so this is where we need to start shifting our mindset and saying, OK, how can we sustain ourselves financially? but also bring value, real meaningful value to our communities. And, and in that way, we also start thinking more long-term instead of just, okay, what's tomorrow, what's next week, and what's that? And we really start setting um, the foundation for Africa's um, development path. Um, so I think as, as complex as that um, uh, answer may sound, I think what I'm really trying to say is that at the ma macro level in Africa, we have many challenges. And as a micro individual, you can start to chip away at that challenge, but also at the same time, create financial value and sustainability for yourself. And I think that's really where you can start is what are the challenges in your immediate uh, community, in your immediate society? And um, you know, you feel free to also refer to our uh, We Bloom Africa um, website, where we um, have uh, various tools for sustainable business models, uh, how to build them, and how to really, you know, manage this, you know, uh, financial sustainability and social impact. So, uh, yeah, that that would be my answer on on where to start.
Thanks. And actually, the, the, the end of your answer actually is a great segue into our next question, which is from Selaziwe Mafika, who's asking, how do we anticipate the impact of labor competitiveness when we can source skills from any in the, anywhere in the world? I mean, the, the world has, for a while, the world has been flat and you can access these skills. But now, as we go into this rapid virtualization, it's only going to increase and we're going to have access to many more skills. So how do we actually uh, anticipate the impact on labor competitiveness? And, and Aditya, if you want to uh, answer this one. Sure, absolutely. You know, so, so what we're seeing you know, here is, is fundamentally you know, tra the transformation of work, but not just the transformation of the workforce. What, we, what we're going to experience also is, is transformation of industries, right? So you know, the cold hard truth is that some industries are going to go extinct, right? So... When you think about, you know, when you're thinking about building new capabilities, new skill sets that, that are relevant are in the, in, in, that will be relevant in the future, right? You have to, you have to think about being world-class, right? Because uh, as, 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 you know, as, as the question, you know, says, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and the point of the question is that competition is moving from being local, right, or being, being limited to a specific region to being global, right? So if you're thinking about moving into some kind of field or learning new skills, right? Your objective has to be to be world-class from day one, right? And, and building on Krista's point about blind spots, you know, and, and Hilda's thoughts on, on empiric empirically driven adoption of new, you know, collaboration techniques, uh, the, 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 the good news is that there's, there's still time to, to adjust. There's time to learn. You know, it isn't happening across the world, across all industries at one moment, right? It's, it's going to take a little bit of time. Exactly when you know, uh, that complete total transformation would happen. I, I, I can't say, you know, but, but you don't wait till that event happens, right? So we can't be emotional about the past. We have to be data-driven. We have to be flexible. We have to adapt. We have to embrace change. We cannot be rigid. And what is, what is going to likely happen, you know, isn't going to be some sort of incremental change or some kind of, you know, sustaining type innovation, as, as Clayton Christensen talks about in his books. What we're approaching here is some sort of event horizon that is going to come, right? Um, so if, if you're a world-leading expert in the field that is going to be extinct and irrelevant, right, that, you know, that, that wouldn't be helpful when, when that change eventually comes. So I think uh, our short answer to the question is, you know, now's the time to, to be very flexible. Now's the time to prepare. And now's also the time to, you know, realize that you would have to be competitive at a global level, right, in order for you to you know, to protect yourself and protect your incomes, uh, protect your income in the, in the world that is, that, that, is, um, that is emerging. No, thanks for that answer. I think that's, that's you're spot on. And uh, it really is about being flexible and adaptable. Just as we in uh, tonight's show have had to be flexible and adaptable to the fact that we haven't had sound with Volta. So, um, you know, we've, we're adapting. I think we're still trying to get him back on, on, uh, online. And uh, I think we might have it now. So we... The, the point is, don't give up. Volta, are you there? I, ho I hope so. Yes. Um, you know, in the physical world, we get flat tires. Um, in the virtual world, we get crashed devices. And, and so I apologize to you in the audience, but I'm back, looks like it. No, great to have you on the All show. Right, and um, we, are, we are close to the end. So I, I just want to let's, let's uh, um, give you a bit of an introduction. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about what you're seeing in the, in the, the future of the workforce? I mean, you're dealing with this on a daily basis. 
So, so Mick, I think there's an important thing. In a, I, I was, uh, I managed to pick up the audio, uh, and and perhaps one of the things we need to think about is that we we are focusing a lot on the progression of the technology and how technology is going to impact jobs, uh, and and that's a valid uh, concern. You know, um, there's we probably have to go down a layer or two, and one is that. Um, what's impacting jobs is the negative attributes of those jobs. So for a long time, those jobs have been unf uh, unsafe, they've been undignified, they've been inefficient, etc., and they've lost their competitiveness or their appeal. And those are the first jobs that are going to essentially be affected by technology. Um, but the other way to think about this is that instead of focusing on the progression of the exponential curve, we've got to look at the time frame between the introduction of a new technology into an economy and so, so maybe let me rephrase it slightly different. When a, a new technology uh, is introduced into an organization or into an economy, et cetera, that where it's got its disruptive, uh, creates a disruptive trend, we'll see a decline in probably uh, in jobs or uh, wages or, or a stagnation of some sort. Uh, and then there's a moment that it recovers uh, and then we, we see that recovery in jobs and in wages and then we see a growth uh, in, in wages and jobs. That's been the trend over the last hundred years. Now, instead of focusing on the progression of the technology, which is where we all fixated, we should be focusing on that gap between when the, where we see a drop in jobs and a, a stagnation in wages. That was known uh, or has been, has been termed as the Engels pause almost 200 years ago. And we're perhaps experiencing a digital pause now at the moment. And with COVID, we're experiencing a COVID pause. So our focus should be on, on reducing that, that, that uh, pause as much as possible. And there's many things we can do. Hilda spoke about empowering entrepreneurs uh, with, with infrastructure around technology, et cetera. Or was it, was it Krista that, that mentioned that? So that, that's one of the things we need to do. We need to get the skills right uh, in the workforce. You know, we, we've got to embrace this construct of lifelong learning. Um, and, and also, you know, something that Adetayo touched on is, is organizations are going to have choice. Uh, you know, there's a, in the past, we've tried to bring the expert into the organization. Oh. And we got Sorry, you still, you can carry like, on. Uh, the connection's dropping. No problem. Uh, so, so in the past, the organizations were fixated with bringing the expert into the organization. In the gig economy and an economy that's based on the ecosystem construct, uh, the focus is going to be on bringing the expertise into the organization for that moment in time. So th there's many changes. These changes are new. I suppose it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety. But if we if we transition through these changes in, in a very structured, discipline, uh, and, and, and coherent way, I, I think that the, the outcomes are going to be positive for economies, for industries, and even for jobs in, in the long term. And perhaps just one last thing I want to mention, and Hilda and Adetayo touched on it. Uh, it's very easy to talk about the future of work and how technology is going to impact on it if you are operating in a large corporate or you're in a first world economy. If you're in a country with high levels of unemployment like we do, um, people that are unemployed are not worried about the workplace or the cool technology. They just want a job. And even there, uh, and Adetayo will, I'm sure you will agree with me, even there, uh, digital and exponential technologies are creating jobs that weren't available before. Uh, Adetayo's business, as an example, uh, is creating jobs for individuals that was not possible without the technology platforms that he uses. Um, you know, uh, Hilda spoke about the, uh, the, the negative bias we have towards women entrepreneurs. Uh, a lot of these technologies are, 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 are enabling 
the, the sharing of infrastructure, collaborative consumption that I speak about. And the main benefactors of collaborative consumption um, are women and the youth. Um, so we've got to change our lens and be less afraid about these, these changes that are coming at us. And, and instead of focusing on the threat, probably focus on the opportunities and what needs to be true for us to maximize the dividends that we can extract or create uh, from these new technologies. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much for that feedback, Volta. What I, what I really love about you is that you can be trying to fix your machine, crashing on and off, and you still uh, heard everything and, and, and uh, really un you understand this world so well. So thank you for that. Um, we're going to go into an another question from Roxy Mini, where she says, what is the future of inex the inexperienced workforce? Because how, do we, how will we train fresh graduates remotely? And Walter, let's also just build on your, your answers. You know, what must leadership do, uh, especially if we, when we're working remotely, in, in order to ensure quality and upskilling in the right way? So, so there's, there's multiple dimensions to that. So one is the individual that comes into a, uh, an environment where they, they have to be trained. I think of the typical apprenticeship, mechanic, plumber, carpenter, etc. Uh, with, with exponential technologies, those individuals could be trained up more, uh, more rapidly by using AR and VR technologies. And you covered this in one of your previous shows. You don't necessarily, your, your ability to be trained is not limited by someone available to train you. So AR and VR can certainly, in, in very technical fields, and not just physical fields, but also advanced technical fields, accelerate experience and training. That's one. The other one is, is the platforms that it creates, you know, linking people without the experience, but perhaps with certain skills. When I say experience, I'm talking about work experience, but with certain skills to job opportunities. And there's a, a South African uh, outfit uh, called Kuda that, that I've had the pleasure of m meeting, which is a, a collection of young entrepreneurs that are creating a platform that, again, links individuals with the right expertise to organizations that are looking for those expertise. And they're able to uh, connect individuals across a wide range of expertise, from engineers right to someone to work at an event. Uh, and that connection makes things uh, a, a lot simpler. And then there's there's the, and I think then what's also happening is as, as organizations embrace these exponential technologies, they themselves have to get their workforce skilled up. So I'm seeing a lot of large, large corporates that are establishing these intern programs to bring fresh interns out of, uh, you know, with, with the right, obviously, exposure and background uh, to bring them into the organization and put them through some form of accelerated learning so that they can become uh, fluent in these new technologies and these new ways of working, which are so critical for organizations. There is a skill shortage, and it's not just in South Africa, it's a worldwide thing. Um, we, we've got to stop focusing on what the problem is and, and start focusing on what needs to be true to, to try and solve this problem. And if we change that, the, the dialogue, um, then, then I think the opportunities become a, a, a lot clearer and we don't get stuck on, on, on just dialoguing about the threat. No, I totally agree to that. Uh, Krista, do you want to add? Yeah, I would agree with Walter, and I'll, I'll try to build off of that. A, I think there are platforms out there that are incredible. Um, here in Canada, we've been working with one called Verbella to try to bring Indigenous youth from rural and remote communities into training programs, and that's phenomenal. But I think it's also a balance of the technologies and using in-person where you can in different ways. So um, I worked on a project a few years ago with Digital Opportunity Trust in Northern Kenya, where we looked at training trainers in communities and then enabled them to go out. And 
by deliberately selecting young women as the trainers and the holder of the technology and having them then transfer that knowledge, we weren't just taking on the challenge of training one individual, we were trying to upskill an individual and a community and also looking at are there some other systemic challenges, so kind of into Hilda's work. So I would challenge us that as we look at transferring these skills to those who are inexperienced, not just taking on the primary challenge of that one-to-one -one transferability, but being deliberate in how we design to say, can we use platforms that are going to increase the skill of the organization and the individual? So using these technology platforms and thinking how they're gonna work in other ways of working, as well as can we start to try to deliberately take on some of the other inherent problems that exist within our infrastructures and look at models of that knowledge transference that could take that on. So I think that's a challenge that we're up to, but it will also make a huge difference down the road if we can bring these inexperienced individuals in in different ways than we have in the past. So not looking at that pure one-to-one -one, um, transference. Absolutely. Um, Hilda, do, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think she, <clears throat> you articulated it so perfectly, Krista. Thank you for that. And um, the only thing I would add is to really remind us all that, you know, um, digitization and technology, um, they're not naturally going to balance, balance our systems. And we are still the custodians of these technologies and of these systems. So before we can see them actually being harnessed for change, we need to be actively trying to um, uh, adapt them uh, for these marginalized communities, for people who are disproportionately um, excluded from those kinds of um, um, uh, privileges. So yeah, the only thing I would say is I would really kind of implore organizations to be a bit more deliberate and uh, actively seek um, those people who are looking for those opportunities. So there's really a push and pull when it comes to uh, people trying to upskill and get uh, get new skills. Um, yes, it's getting more competitive, but I think um, uh, organizations and industry also has clout and a part to play in balancing um, the, the playing field. No, thank you. So talking about that clout, we've got a question from Trevor Harding where he's asking, how do big legacy complex organizations change beyond just remote working, uh, Adetayo, as you were saying earlier? Uh, let's start with Adetayo and then move to Volta on this, on this question. Sure, you know, so when you talk about big organizations, right, you're also talking about experienced organizations, right? And, and, and I think this connects back to the previous question on, you know, what is the, what is the fate of the inexperienced workforce? And, and I think this raises a fundamental question, right? You know, which is what is the value of experience itself, right? Uh, how relevant is experience to, to new job types or to new categories uh, and to, to new needs that are emerging as well, right? So, I, I think this leads us to, you know, some, some other, you know, philosophical debates around our soft skills, for example, right? Are soft skills more important than hard skills, right? Is, is mental flexibility a much more valuable skill set than field-based experience? Uh, so I think uh, that the focus really has to shift, you know, from, you know, focused from, from legacy, from experience rather to, to, to learning. As the nature of work changes, learning models and objectives also need to change, right? We need to focus on relevant data-driven high-impact learning, right? And, and this includes large organizations, right? They need to learn, you know, um, whether you're an experienced person or, or at a more macro level, an experienced organization, right? 
uh, a lot of the, 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 the experience and the assets that you've accumulated in the past might not be relevant for, for, for the future, right? So I think fundamentally the question goes back to what is the value of the assets and the experience and the legacy that you have and how relevant is that uh, to the future, and I, and I think, you know, those are debates that are still ongoing, right? Uh, I'd love to hear the, the, the thoughts of, of the other panelists. But, but the, the, from, from what I've seen so far, um, uh, experience, you know, isn't always uh, as valuable as we might think it is. For that, we t totally echo that sentiment. It really is about constant lifelong learning. And, um, you know, even if you think about what's happened to us with COVID, a lot of um, people that were working in careers for a very long time never thought they would have to get into this uh, Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. Yeah. And now you've had to very quickly adapt and change. Uh, so, Volta, over to you for, for this question. So, I mean, building on to what Adetayo mentioned, I think lifelong learning is, is going to be a, a mindset. We shouldn't wait for organizations to uh, get our learning up the curve. We should take responsibility for our own learning. This is your own career capital that you're going to take control of. And and just I want to leave you with a stat that says that you know your knowledge is decaying at about 30% a year. So anything in your CV that's older than three years is probably irrelevant to help you get your next job. Uh, not not notwithstanding your wisdom, etc. I'm talking about those specific skills. So so moving on from that point. Uh, look, so so Trevor uh, uh, usually asks tough questions. And, and maybe the, it's a multi there's a multi-dimensional response to that question. The first one is uh, the organization needs to understand what's, what its ambition is. Why is it embracing this new digital technology? Is it to generate new revenue through innovation, reduce the cost of doing business by, uh, by improving productivity, changing the customer experience, et cetera? Once they understand why they're doing it, they also know what kind of technologies that they're, they're going to bring in place. Uh, and if they know which technologies they're going to bring in place, they know exactly what the current skill base in the workforce is and where they need to get the workforce to get to. Now, if you approach it from that perspective, it is a structured approach. You can trans tr you know, transition the workforce mostly uh, because it can be done in a very orchestrated uh, and organized way. Uh, I think what organ organizations experience is that they're not necessarily progressing or transforming uh, from a digital or innovative perspective quick enough and then we have a situation where the business is under strain and then they make rapid moves uh, in the workforce. And, and that's where you, you get this, again, this negative connotation that technology results in job losses. Uh, we've seen organizations that, that, uh, that are in the heavy, uh, uh, the heavy industry space that have you know, successfully transitioned workforce that you think would never transition uh, in, uh, into a, a, a digital construct. So, so that's one thing that I, one piece of advice I'd give to business leaders. The other one is that embrace the fact that perhaps the skills that you require aren't inside your organization. And that's okay. You know, embrace that ecosystem thinking, work with entrepreneurs, work with startups. Um, I, I've, uh, I've recently, uh, I won't mention the name, but a, a South African uh, corporate that, that is now using uh, a platform to bring individuals that aren't digitally savvy onto the platform so that they can assist them in concluding the last mile uh, delivery of, of their products. So what they've done is the platform has in enabled individuals that are not digitally fluent in terms of they can't build their own platforms, but they're now to use these platforms. And, and they, you know, they're now using these, these individuals on the platform ultimately to reduce the cost of, of delivering product to the, to the, you know, in the last mile. And by doing that, 
they've made that service affordable and, and economically viable, and they've created a, a job for someone that's not necessarily uh, uh, on the upper side of, of the digital skills curves. So I think it's it's looking at at um, the organization from the inside, making sure that you've got a plan to transition, embracing new ways of, of uh, accessing those skills, gig, the gig economy, the uh, you know, embracing ecosystem startups, etc., uh, and then introducing a culture into the organization of lifelong learning. I mean, that that is a critical one. Last point I'd want to mention is that you've also got to change the the mindset of of leadership inside organizations. Uh, you can implement all the solutions, all the technology, all the platforms, all the frameworks in the world, but if you don't have a leadership mindset that is open uh, and uh, open and curious around the new ways in which we need to engage, then these things don't work. So we've got to address uh, leadership mindsets and we've got to address organizational cultures to facilitate this change as well. No, thanks so much for that. So we have actually run out, we've run a bit over, but we're going to uh, end with one, one last question uh, from, f to get an answer from each of you. Um, and um, we, it comes from Poleng Lopondo, who's asking, how does one prepare for the future of work now? Uh, so let's let's close off with just each of you giving um, just some advice on how does one prepare for the future of work now? And we can start with uh, Krista. Boy, I'm going to build off of Walter's last statement. I think a, a big way to prepare is to be curious. Um, maintaining that curiosity is going to be key to keeping the mindset and the perspective and the resilience to be able to adjust through these challenges. Because I unfortunately don't think this is the last major transformation that we're going to see but if we maintain that curiosity i think we'll be successful no thanks it's curiosity and resilience and we were resilient and we made sure that we 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 got it uh volta's camera and sound working and volta thank you for being resilient um hilda over to you um Ending with a really, really tough question, because I guess this is what we're individually and personally also navigating, right? Uh, how do we kind of approach the future now with so much uncertainty? Um, but I think what I would say is the, the big strategy for myself, for the entrepreneurs that I work with on the ground, is you need to be ready to adapt. Because like we've seen this year, uh, you can plan, but there are just some things that you cannot foresee. Um, I think be as informed and educated as you can um, in terms of trends and, and what's working in your market, in your field, etc. But also have that kind of room for adaptation that means that if the, the, the storm comes, you don't just kind of um, leave and pack up shop, but you are able to, to pivot and really uh, take that uh, challenge in your stride. Um, so yeah, I, I would really say uh, try as much as you can to be informed, um, uh, investigate uh, the, the situation uh, thoroughly, and um, try as much as possible to be adaptable and, and flexible. Thanks so much. Uh, next time, thanks for your knowledge and for the positive impact you're all making in the world. Uh, we are really grateful and appreciate being able to share this time with you guys. Don't That's all we have time for today. Hope you really enjoyed that. Please make sure to go and subscribe to our Exponential Africa on our podcast channels or our YouTube channel. Uh, we really, really would appreciate, subscribe and keep watching and learning and making a positive difference in the world.